If we understand God's word correctly, uh, we know that there are essentially two outcomes, two things that will inevitably happen to every individual or every church here, the nation of Israel. Uh, One outcome is that we put our faith in God and we become part of his work. We become a blessing to the world. On the other hand, we can put our faith in anything else and we become just like the world. And when I say the world, I'm talking about all that God created. God created it all good, but it's very broken by sin. And it's a world that God desires to restore and to redeem and to heal, uh, but very fallen and very broken. So that every one of us, we either become a blessing to the world or we become just like the world in its brokenness, in its fallenness. And those are your two outcomes. And, and every day we get up and we have a choice to align ourselves with God's way or, or just go along with the way of the world. Our passage today is a huge reminder of this reality because the whole nation of Israel in bulk has been uh, just, they just became like the nations that were around them. They just became like everyone else. And they turned from faith in God and this is a reminder to us that this, these same two outcomes are for us as well. As we um, go about our everyday, we can live lives of everyday worship and everyday mission for God or not. Now, I realize when I, when I start talking about you know, everyday mission that for some people it brings about uh, feelings of guilt. Like, oh yeah, you know, I, could, I probably am not living enough for God, or I haven't done enough or accomplished enough. I could do more. But trusting God in your everyday isn't, isn't quite like that. What Trusting in God by putting your faith in God, having a vital relationship with God, what it does is His grace changes you to be able to see what you're already doing, to see your life uh, through the lens of His grace and, and in light of His kingdom so that you can understand that. So it's not about starting all new things. It's about seeing the things you're doing in light of his grace and in light of his kingdom. So it's just a different way of viewing and approaching your world. So this uh, text becomes just a very, a very uh, a weighty reminder of these things. And we want to explore that today as we look at God's word. Let's pray together. So Father, as we think about the world, the sinfulness of the world, not one of us, not me or anyone in this room, Lord, is innocent of sin. And Lord, I pray uh, that, by, that we would just receive your grace. And we would receive forgiveness, that we would repent of those things and turn to you. That you would show us your way. That you would show us your path and teach us your way that we might live in light of who you are and what you have done. Be our teacher this morning. We thank you for your very presence in this place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our, our text that was just read for us, we have um, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. So we have all of God's people were one nation, and then there were early on there was a split. And the northern kingdom, they all had their separate kings at that point. The northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah. And in Israel, we just have a bunch of bad kings we left off a couple weeks ago. Remember we had Elisha and he was out in the wilderness and wishing for death and he's all alone. But God had plans for him and one of the, part of that plan was to anoint 
a king named Jehu, and Jehu became a king, and he was a little bit better than the other kings, but he was still very evil. So he was, he was not as bad, but he's just bad. So if you've been tracking with this series, he was, um, he was Jeroboam evil, but not Ahab evil, but just still, it's just evil. And then just, you can read them all, but just like bad king after bad king after bad king, and it's sliding down to what we get to today, which is exile. God allowing the consequences of the sin of this nation to take their full course. You have um, Assyria, who's a very powerful nation. They've been kind of looming right there. And the king of Assyria comes in and they capture Hosea, who's the king of Israel. They imprison him. They, there's this three-year-long siege and the people finally just give up. And they're captured. They're deported. Every one of them deported out of the nation. And, and then Assyria relocates some other foreigners into Samaria, the capital city, and into Israel. And they just, the whole thing is just over. And um, now that's all happening in Israel. In the southern king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, there's actually some decent kings who bring about reform and some goodness. There's also some bad kings. We're going to look at one of the good kings next week. So it's not all bad. And we're going to see what happens when a nation actually listens to God's warning and actually repents and turns back to him and, and renews the covenant that God, had, uh, that God was faithful to, that the people had broken. So we're going to look at that next week. But, but here, we, everything has gone straight to exile. And uh, so everybody's gone. And in verse 7 here in our text, has a great. It, it's going to give us a summary of what happened. And we've seen this coming but we, we see that what I'm going to look at is two rejections. That's how I'm going to walk through this text. We have two big rejections. And verse 7 you know, says, all this took place because. And here's the first thing. It was a rejection of God's grace. It's a rejection of God's saving grace, his grace and salvation. So look at verse 7. It says, all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they worshipped other gods. God reminds them that, by my grace I saved you. You were in trouble. You were a people who were enslaved. You were a people who were oppressed and beaten. And I, because I am mightier than, than Pharaoh, because I am the mighty God, by my grace, I and my strength, I saved you from that. I am the saving God. And we would expect the people to say, thank you. To have gratitude. Lord, we desire to worship you and to obey you. But that's not what happens. They, they, they turn from the God who saved them and they start worshiping other gods. One foundational truth that we're reminded here is that, and it's for the, it's for the kings of old and it's for us today, is that our faith begins with God's saving grace. That it's God's strength and God's grace to his people that begins the whole thing. The way we live out our faith and the way that we are obedient to God all stems from who God is and what he has done. It's, God's grace comes before our obedience. It is not our obedience and our pursuit of God that brings about his grace. His grace brings about or should bring about our obedience. And it's always been this way, right from the beginning. When, when God gave his laws to his people through Moses, God gives the Ten Commandments to start. And God said to Moses, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
Then you shall, one, have no other gods before me. Two, have no idols. You know, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep, keep the Sabbath day. Honor your mother and father. All the commands. But they all start with, I am God, and I have saved you, and therefore this is, this is a response to my saving work is this obedience. Um, and again, our connection to God does not start with obedience. It's, I brought you out of Egypt, now you obey. In the New Testament, Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is to love God, to love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then flowing from that vital relationship with God of love and of worship, what flows from that is our love of other people, the way we live, the way that we walk, the things we choose to do or not do flow from his grace. We, don't just, we aren't just people who just set out on our own to try harder, to try to change the world for Jesus. It's that he has changed me, my heart, that he has extended his love and grace to me. And that is my fuel that propels me forward in my life. So for, these, for the nation of Israel, when God reminds them, I rescued you, I saved you, we would expect this gratitude and worship. But what do we get? No gratitude. Fading gratitude. And instead of looking to the God who saved them, they look to all these other gods to try to get something from them. And it's this, it's this what have you done for me lately kind of an attitude. And, uh, and again, we, we remember when we encounter God's grace, when we put our faith in him, we haven't then enlisted God to our life to help us when we need help. What we have is a God who has enlisted us to his cause, who has pulled us out of slavery, out of the pit, to be part of his kingdom. It's, it's not him working for us. And this, here we have people who are trying to get their God or other gods or all these idols, trying to get them to do something, get some blessing. The New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. When you experience God's grace, he purchased your life. He owned you, but now you're part of his thing. Now you're part of his redeeming work to be a blessing to the world. But we work for him. And that, that's, so we always have to go back to that foundational truth that God's grace started this whole thing. That's why we have to remember. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together regularly, every month. We receive the elements remembering his sacrifice, remembering his saving work. And that is what will propel us forward. It starts with what he has done. It starts with his grace. But the Israelites have forgot God's grace. They neglected God's grace and they rejected God's grace. And they turned to other gods. And that's the first rejection. The second rejection that we see here is the rejection of God's warning. Now, whenever we see warning, we would expect, you know, uh, Repentance, turning back to God. Look at verse 13. The Lord warned the Israelites, uh, uh, warned Israel and Judah, both nations, through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered through my servants, the prophets. We see here God's heart is so patient and so kind to uh, not only has he saved his people, but he then brings warning to remind that I have saved you and that you are to follow me. We see God's heart like this in Psalm 103, where it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. 
As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God knows that we are going to be prone to wander. God knows that we are going to be prone to look to other things. Even though he has saved us, even though he has rescued us, he knows that we are just human and he gives us these warnings. And if today you have any sense that God is warning you, that God is calling you back to himself, then I pray that you would turn, that you would heed that warning. Because at any moment we can turn from those things and turn back to the God who loves us. But what does Israel do? Verse 14. But they would not listen. And they were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. And then the end of verse 15 here is just, this is it. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They just became like the nations around them. You see, it's all through this passage. Verse 7, end of verse 7, says they worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations. Verse 11, at every high place they burned incense and the nations, or as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They were just behaving like the people who lived around them. The lesson for us here is that there, every place in ancient Israel today has a culture. Culture can be hard to define. It can seem ambiguous, but we would define it like this. Culture is just the way we do things around here. Just the way things are done. This is just kind of the way we do it. And some culture is good. Some culture is bad. Some culture is just downright destructive. But culture has a power to it. It has a shaping power. And if you just go about life and inevitably over time you will become conformed to the culture that's around you unless there is a stronger force so there's this power of culture to shape you but unless there's a stronger force to swim against that current to push against it that is compelling you in that direction then you'll just be shaped by the culture around you the the bible says this so clearly and so beautifully in romans chapter 12 Verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, you can either conform to the ways of the world or you can be transformed by God. These are the two outcomes. Israel conformed to the world. Verse 15. This is so sad. It says, They followed worthless idols, and they themselves became worthless. They they put their faith in something that was made of stone or metal. It was nothing. It wasn't alive. It could not save them. And it's just worthless. And in this process, their whole lives became worthless. You become what you worship. You, you know, the saying, you are what you eat. It was a true story. 1999, 20 years ago. Which 1999 doesn't seem like 20 years ago, but for whatever reason it was. 1999, there was a BBC report, true story, you can look this up. Uh, BBC reported of a girl from Wales, and she uh, ended up in the hospital, and she was um, jaundiced. Her skin was turning yellow, her hands and her face. And the doctors were very concerned, her parents were very concerned. 
because um, it could, is, is it a liver problem? Is it a kidney problem? It was very, very serious. They interviewed this girl's family. She had turned yellow because she drank too much Sunny D, Sunny Delight. 50 ounces a day, this four-year-old girl was drinking 50 ounces of Sunny D every day, and it caused her skin to turn yellow-orange. So when, when, a, when a food product uh, causes a medical condition, everybody gets quiet and gets a lawyer and is really quiet. So the doctor calls the parent company, Procter & Gamble, who denied nothing. They said, four-year-old girl drinking 50 ounces of our product? Yeah, she's going to turn orange. That's what happens. Oh, and by the way, it's totally harmless. So it's the beta carotene they put into the Sunny D that makes it extra bright orange. You drink enough of it, if your body can't, produce, can't process it, it just sits in your skin. They said, don't worry. In a few weeks, your daughter will turn back to normal color. If she stops drinking 50 ounces of Sunny D every day, that's more than, that's more than the fluid that a four-year-old needs in any given day. Of all fluids, water and milk, and a, but it was all Sunny D. As a reminder, I've got cups of Sunny D for everybody in the rotunda when worship is. If I thought better of it, that would have been really cute. But my point is this. This, this four-year-old girl, um, this is a lesson for us. That you're, you're going to become what you, you take in. You think of the world we live in and we think about this is, even just if I just consume the, the news, if I just see kind of how the world works, and I just go about my day, and I just, I'm living in, it just becomes normal, and, it, and then it's going to shape me to be like that. Yet, we, we can be, in the midst of that, transformed. Moses himself, literally, was with God, in God's presence, in such a way, for such a long time, that when he came away from God's presence, his skin, his face, was radiant in a way that was freaking out all the people, and they made him cover up. So Moses, put a veil over your face, because you, I, we can't take God's glory like that. And, and then in the New Testament, it picks up on this, the same presence of God that was with Moses that made him radiant and had to cover up, the Spirit of God in us is making us reflect God's glory, His radiance, but we don't have to cover our faces. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's, the, it's God's Spirit at work within us that is bringing us, literally, the, the text says, from glory to glory. And we sing that song. We go from glory to glory to glory. It's not about us doing something great. It's about the Spirit of God transforming us from glory to glory as we then, instead of, instead of just uh, being like the world, we now go into the world and reflect that glory to the world to where God has called us. And it's all about walking in the Spirit, it's all about the God's, it's all about, it's all about abiding in Jesus. Jesus talked about abiding in him. He didn't just tell his followers, go and bear fruit. He, he did say that, but before he said that, he said, remain in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So remain in me and go and bear fruit. It's all about remaining in him and his spirit remaining in us. In, uh, in the book, in the letter to the Galatian church, 
is this young church, the Apostle Paul, is writing to these young Christians, and they lived in the Roman, they lived in the Roman Empire, and there was a way of life in the Roman Empire that was very normal. It was just their culture. And there was behaviors and there was values that were just accepted. It was just the way you live life. And you could go out in the Roman world and do these things, and nobody would think you're a bad person. You're just being a Roman. And he tells this church, he tells them, walk in the Spirit. Keep step with the Spirit. Because this culture that you live in is totally unacceptable. Parts of it, certainly, are totally unacceptable in God's kingdom. And if you walk in the Spirit, if you keep in step with God's Spirit, you can approach that world in ways that will creatively help you navigate the things that should be avoided and things that you should pursue that are going to be contrary to the culture around you. For us today, it's the same thing. When we walk with the Spirit, we can face, we can see what we see, and through God's, through the, through the lens of His kingdom, we can see that some things are to be avoided, and some things are to be pursued. And His Spirit can creatively help us navigate that, and as we do it, we are reflecting His kingdom, blessing the world instead of just being coming, instead of just becoming like it. So what does it look like? How can we live this way of life? It's very simple. We live in a world that's very short on affirmation and encouragement. And we can be people who go out every day and think, how might I be an encourager? How might I affirm people in my everyday? We live in a world where gossip is just fine. It's okay to talk about other people. We can be people in God's kingdom who do not gossip, who who choose not to participate that in our place of work, in our home. We are a world, and we live in, a, and our culture is very digital and very impersonal in very ways. In, in many ways, we can be people who choose to have face-to-face conversations, who can send handwritten notes, who can who can actually spend time with one another. We we live in a culture where it's um, where we are to be strong and proud, but we as Christians can go and have humility. And we can apologize knowing that we are human and that we do fall short sometimes. We can be a people who choose not to take revenge. We can be a people who choose to lift up those who are lowly and encourage those of low status. We are a people who can go into your everyday and you could into your place of work or Um, in your home or just in your neighborhood, and you could build a sense of camaraderie and and teamwork by bringing cake. This week, I had a big staff meeting on Wednesday and lots of planning for the fall ministry, and and it's been, it could could have been a very, actually very discouraging week for us as a team, and, uh, but we were, were working together and a friend brought in a big box of muffins. From Perfectos, the big plump ones with all the, you know, they cut the top and fill it with frosting and put the top back on. So good. <laughs> and there was joy in that. And we, we were breaking from what we were doing and we muffined up and came back to the meeting and kept working. And, and it was really a blessing. Now, you, you might be sitting there saying, look, you, you're into Jesus. Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. And you're saying the response to that is to bring muffins. 
This seems a little uh, disproportionate. I, I get it. I, that, I agree, even as I was saying that. Um, I get it. But it was Jesus himself. He's the one who gave his life on that cross and rose again. He's the one who said, your response to my love is going to be lived out in a glass of water that's given to somebody who's thirsty, who needs it. He set that standard. It's simple acts of love. And again, it's not about getting up and saying, I'm going to change the world today. It's about getting up and seeing the world through the lens of God's kingdom and knowing that you can be an agent of his kingdom to bless that world. Or you just go along with it and you become like it. Now, God may call you to some grand thing. Uh, your place of, of, of employment or your call in life might be to, uh, to fight against some grand systemic injustice in your workplace or your industry or, your, or our nation. Praise God, go for that with all your heart. But it may be very simple, but it's to what he is calling us to. And we will either conform to the world or we're going to be part of being transformed and blessing the world. Israel, the nation of Israel, conformed. They rejected God's grace and they rejected his warning. And exile flowed. Sin brings exile. Being banished from the good places that God has given his people. And it started right from the beginning. God gave humanity a beautiful place to live, a beautiful garden. But they sinned, and they're banished from the garden, from God's good place in his good presence. And then years later, God gives them a land, the promised land, where they were to a place where they could live and worship him and experience him, and they sin. And they are banished, and they're out of the land. For us, our sin brings about exile, that we do not deserve to be in God's presence. We are to be cast out forever from God's presence. That's hell, where God's presence will never be known. Cast out forever. For Israel, they ran out of rescuers. There was no more kings who could keep the Assyrians at bay. There was no more, uh, there was no more warning, no more rescue. For us, we need a rescuer. We need somebody to come and save us from turning away. And it was Jesus. He got the ultimate exile. He got the ultimate uh, being cast out from the presence of the Father. And on the cross, he takes our sin. And he gets the exile that we deserve. And in, in our place, he dies. But he rises again to new life. To, bring, to, give us, uh, to, to give us a new home. And being brought into a new family and a new land. Now and forever in the presence of God. And when we experience that, it transforms us. And it transforms us that we are now part of a mission to live for him. We are now, as Jesus said, the salt of the earth to season the world around us. We, as Jesus said, are the light of the world to bring light into dark places. And it's God's spirit fostering this, growing this fruit in us. So that as we abide in him, we can change our world to the glory of his name. Let us pray. Father God, you are a gracious God, a compassionate God. You are a God who has reached out in love to save us through the work of Jesus. To save us forever.
And you are our God who is patient with us as we wander, as we look to things apart from you. You bring us warning. Lord, Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts. We pray that we would be devoted to worship you alone. And Lord, as, as, that, as your spirit works in us, we do pray that we would be agents of your kingdom. Lord, whatever small act of love, whatever great act of love uh, and, and kindness and goodness that you have called us to live in our everyday lives, Lord, empower us to be your people. We pray that our world would change. And we pray that you would be glorified. We pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.